0: To open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, we're going to be in verses 9 through 14. The message that is in some ways part two from what Mark preached last Sunday, which is why I've entitled it The Sabbath Controversy Continues, uh, but with a different emphasis this week based on uh, the context of what's going on. So in this week's passage, what we're going to see is this controversy continues, but in a very specific way. And that's when adherence to tradition replaces faithfulness to God and his word. When, adher- when adherence to tradition replaces faithfulness to God and his word. So if you have your Bibles in Matthew chapter 12, um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 21 because there's a context here that we need we need to make sure we keep in mind uh, as we focus on our passage, verses 9 through 14. So let's begin reading in verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name. The Gentiles will hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the unspeakably great privilege to open up Your Word together as a church family and study this particular passage in Matthew chapter 12. Lord, as we think about the Sabbath and we think about traditions, uh, Lord, please give us insight into Your Word, what it's saying, what it means, but also what we need to do with that lord uh so be our help lord give us illumination shine uh the light of your truth in our hearts open us to your truth open your truth to us lord that we might see it and understand it and because of it be more conformed to christ god we pray the gospel would be clear lord that if there's any within the hearing of this message who is not a believer who has not been born again who has not had their their hearts made new they've not come from darkness to light. Father, we ask that today would be the day that you bring them into new life, that you produce real, true, saving faith in their hearts, that they would turn from their sin and cling to Christ alone for salvation and eternal life. Lord, build your church through your word, and we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. And so if you you looked in the the group me, you know uh, the title of this. And if you looked at the questions, we're going to be talking a lot about tradition today. And that's a, an interesting, fun, uh, scary topic, especially in in the church. Um, but we all, you know, we, we understand tradition. It's, it's um, you know, Merriam-Webster's dictionary gives us this definition of it. It is an inherited, established, or customary pattern of thought, action, or behavior in, in a very simple way. Again, I'll read that. It's an inherited, established or customary pattern of thought, action, or behavior. Traditions define us in many ways. They define our memories. They, they, they shape our, our lives, things we do on a regular basis, things we do on special occasions. Uh, and it may bring up, if, if you're you know at all familiar with uh, the culture around us and movies and musicals and Broadway, there's a movie called Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, some of you might know what I'm gonna I'm gonna quote here, uh, but at the very beginning of, of that movie, which is about uh, Jews in Russia during the turn of the of the 20th century uh, and their life and their small little village, there's the main character Tevye. He kind of introduces the, the the whole musical, um, and and this is what he says, telling us, giving us insight into the 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 name of the the show and uh, the purpose of the show. He says, and you you can you know in uh, insert his, you know, raspy voice, tradition. Um, You you can have that in your head as I read this. I'm not going to try to read the whole thing like that. Uh, But he says this, A fiddler on the roof. Sounds crazy, no? But in our little village of Anatevka, you might say every one of us is a fiddler on the roof, trying to scratch out a pleasant, simple tune without breaking his neck. It isn't easy. You may ask, why do we stay up here? Why do we stay up there if it's so dangerous? We stay because Anatevka is our home. And how do we keep our balance? He asks. He says, That I can tell you in one word. Tradition. Says, and you hear, you know, you've got the, the thing, tradition, tradition, all that. And then he says, again, because of our traditions, we've kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything. How to eat, how to sleep, even how to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition start? I'll tell you, I don't know. But it's a tradition. Because of our traditions, everyone knows who he is and what God expects of him. And then he goes on, there's a lot that he says about life as husbands, wives, children. And then he gets back to this at the very end. He says, tradition. Without our traditions, our lives would be as shaky as, as a fiddler on the roof. And the whole point is the traditions, the, the customs, the, uh, the patterns of thought, action, and behavior that they are... Used to in their little small community. That's what holds their community together. And if you're familiar with the story, it's all about challenging those traditions. The world is changing around them. Obviously, we know the communist revolution was taking place at this time, uh, lots of upheaval. And so the traditional way of life that they were used to was coming to an end. Um, but we understand the importance of tradition. We all have traditions. Again, in our own families, I mean, each one of us probably has things the way we do Christmas. You know, it's unique to our family. There's going to be a lot of similarities. You know, opening presents, a Christmas tree. Um, and, you know, maybe the, the big dude with the beard and the, the red stuff. Um, you know, that, that's a big thing for people as well. Um, but we all have traditions. Thanksgiving, Christmas, and all of that. And traditions can be very good things. Traditions can be very good things. They can be very healthy practices for us they help again they shape our they they shape our 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 memory of our childhood our memory of good times that we do certain things with certain people in a certain way and we remember those things we go through them we look forward to them traditions can be very good but one of the things I, i challenge my students with when we're talking about the doctrine of scripture in in the bible class when we get to this issue it's like scripture has authority over all human and religious traditions And that's a very important point that we have to get to. It it definitely ties into our passage here in Matthew chapter 12. Scripture has authority over all human and religious traditions. And traditions are good insofar as they go, but if it ever comes to the point where our traditions, be they just family, cultural, whatever, or religious, church-based, whatever, if those start to come into conflict with Scripture, Scripture has to have the final say. It has to. And that's just an understanding that we have to have as we go into this, because that is exactly what Jesus is going to teach. That is exactly what Jesus has already demonstrated in his ministry. We saw it already demonstrated uh, last week at the first um, eight verses of chapter 12, dealing with plucking the grain, the heads of grain on the Sabbath. Scripture and scriptural principles always trump man-made traditions. Pharisees, uh, the Jews had a a huge fence around the law because they didn't want people to break the law and get in trouble like they did, which led them into exile. And so they had hundreds of laws around around the law so that if you stayed within this fence, you never even got close to the law and therefore you were safe. And Jesus constantly pushes up against those man-made laws because in so many instances, they were actually leading people away from God and not in obedience to God. And so we come back to this issue of the Sabbath and what is proper, what is appropriate, what is permitted, what is lawful on the Sabbath. And that's why I say this Sabbath controversy continues. It, our story, our text picks right up after the end of last week. It's not like there's a time gap here. Like a lot of the texts that we read, you get one story, there's a gap, and then it's another thing. This picks up immediately on the heels of where we were last week. The, Jesus and the disciples, they're going through the grain fields on the Sabbath. They're, they're hungry. They're plucking heads of grain, and they're eating. And so they're on the way to somewhere. They're not just walking randomly on the Sabbath. They're doing what good Jews would do, and they're heading to synagogue, which is the place where the Jews would gather. So they're going to the synagogue because verse nine, it says he went on from there, from where, from the grain fields and entered their synagogue, whose synagogue, the synagogue of where these Pharisees were a part of. So he's going into their territory. He's going into their domain. um, And that's where the story picks up. And so what we see here, starting out point number one, we see a very public location. Because this scene, again, this is just part two, and it's continuing. Yes, it's in the grain fields to start, but now you're in a synagogue. Like this is the hub of religious life for the Jews. This is where they come together. They discuss the, the, the word of God. They discuss the scriptures and they sing and they pray. And so this is a big deal. Whatever happens in the synagogue is what everybody's going to know about. It's very similar to how churches used to be here in this country, you know, a little bit further back. Churches were kind of the the center hub of the community in a lot of places and in a lot of ways. Um, It's just the the way things were. Everybody was in the church. Everybody met at the church. Same thing with the synagogue. The most important people are going to be there. So what happens in the synagogue affects a lot of things. And when we see it's a public location, a lot of people are there. The same people are going to be involved. And even more than that. Yes, we've got the Pharisees who live in this area, and we've got Jesus and His disciples, same folks from last week, same, same groups of people. And the religious setting though, is what we need to focus on is not coincidental. The religious setting is not coincidental. This doesn't just take place anywhere, our story today. It takes place in the religious spiritual hub, apart from the temple in Jerusalem. This was the place where you gathered to talk about God. And so it's a very public location, and a lot is going to come from this. The Pharisees, their response is going to be because Jesus is doing certain things in public. It's not just because he's doing them, but he's doing these things in public in a way that they don't like. So we have a public location, verse 9, and then we see in verse 10 a very loaded question. A very loaded question. Look again at what the Pharisees ask him. It says, and there was a man with a withered hand. And so they know this. This is their their hometown. They they probably know this guy's name. They know his story. They know his family. And they're in there every week with him in the synagogue. And so they asked Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And then Matthew in search for us is very helpful comment where he says, so that they might accuse him. So this is, this is why I call this a loaded question. Okay. They're not asking genuinely. They're asking with a, an ulterior bad motive. But let's look at the situation. So we're in the synagogue, the community's there. You've got this man with a withered hand. He, again, he's probably been going there for a long time. Everybody knows who he is, his hand. We don't know how it got that way, whether it was born that way, whether it was through some kind of injury, but he's got a hand that is of no use. And everybody knows this, okay? And so the Pharisees, this is the sad part about it. They're actually using this guy just as a prop in order to get at Jesus. He doesn't really matter to them. He's just an illustration so that they can try to catch Jesus in something, as they always try to do. And so here's the question that they ask. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal on on the Sabbath. They are trying to get Jesus to answer this important question. They already have in their minds, and you know, we've talked about this before, their minds are already made up. Their minds are already made up. Like they are out to get Jesus. So even if he does what is right, they are still going to be mad. And again, we talked about that. That's not the kind of people we want to be. We want to be able to, to fairly, uh, objectively evaluate things. We don't want to be the type that's always, no matter what someone does, they can't do any right in our eyes. We need to be fair and objective in our evaluations of people. That's gone for the Pharisees. And we see that because of the end of verse 10. It says, so that they might accuse Him. They want to catch Jesus so that they have something they can hold over his head. They already don't like him. They're going to oppose him at every step. And they want to have something that they can use to, to spread around and be like, Ha, we got him. See, yeah, he might be saying this, he might be doing this, but we got this one instance where we got him. And he's, you can't trust him, you can't listen to him, he's a fraud that's what they want here it the intent behind their question is malicious they want a valid reason to accuse jesus and as it ends up coming as as it ends up happening you know all the way down to the crucifixion they have to make up stuff about him they have to twist what he says they have to make stuff up because they can't get a legitimate charge they can't Uh, but they're going to do everything they can to find something to accuse him of and this is what is so interesting about this okay as we're going to see in just a minute In principle, they and Jesus would give the same answer to this question. That's what's so amazing about this. They're going to agree with Jesus in principle in terms of how he answers this. But again, their minds are already made up. Their hearts are already hard. And so it doesn't matter. So let's look at this next thing. We've got the public location, a loaded question. And now we get Jesus's pointed response. Okay, so look at verse 11. Jesus says to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Now, this was fascinating to me as I was studying this and thinking through this. This was a real debate that was going on in the Jewish community. This was a real debate. What if something like this happens, a sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Can you get it out or do you leave it there? And even more, it gets down to what if a person falls into a pit or a person gets into a situation in which they need rescue, and if they're not rescued, they could die? That was a real debate that was taking place. And you had pretty much two main sides. Okay? You had the Pharisees, they would actually say, well, it's, it, you should... If your sheep falls into the pit, you should get it out. That's not really work. You're showing mercy to your animal. If a human being even more falls into a pit or is in danger, you should rescue them out of that. That's being good. That's doing mercy. So that's one view on this. The other one, and you might have heard this, the Qumran community, uh, where we have the the Qumran scrolls and stuff like that, some um, Old Testament stuff. Uh, The Qumran community was actually stricter than the Pharisees. And we say, there's people stricter than the Pharisees. Yeah, there were, believe it or not. And the Qumran community would actually say, leave the sheep in there. Leave it in the pit. And they would even say for a human being, if a human being's life was in danger, it's on the Sabbath. You can't work. Let them die. Trust God. That's a scary place to get to, but that's where they were. They were that strict in their interpretation of don't work on the Sabbath at all. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? They would say, well, it's better to not break the law than to save a life. Obviously, they, they missed what Mark talked through from what Jesus said uh, at the end of uh, the passage last week. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The, the Qumran community totally missed God's heart for people. But this was a big controversy. It was a big debate. What do you do? Is that work? Is it better to save a life or to sin and break God's law on the Sabbath? The Pharisees would say it's better to save life. They would say it's better to rescue the animal. It's even better to rescue a human being. That's what makes their response to Jesus and their whole motivation even more astounding is that they agreed with Jesus on this. He agreed with them. They agreed with him. It is... So much better to save life. That's why Jesus says, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it, and He answers their question outright. He's referencing clear scriptural teaching when He does this, by the way, in verse 12, when He says, how much more value is a man than a sheep? Jesus is operating with the biblical framework of the image of God in man as making man of more value than any other of God's creatures. If you follow the the narrative pattern of Genesis there, when Moses is laying out the the creation days, man is created on the sixth day. Everything is building for man. Why? Because man is in the image of God. Man is the one whom God has appointed to rule over his creation, to, to have dominion over it, and to fill it with a whole lot of image bearers. No creature that God made has the value of a human being. None do. Human beings are far more valuable. One human life is of far more value than all the rest of what God made why because only human beings bear the image of God the image and likeness of God the Pharisees wouldn't dispute that Jesus obviously believes that why he's like how of how much more value is a man than a sheep we're talking about someone here who bears God's image Someone who was made to be like God, that when you see this person, you should see some of God in him. No other creature of God was made that way. Only humanity. And so the value of a human life is of inestimable value. You can't count it. And that's why Jesus here says, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, not just to like rescue a sheep out of a pit, but we've got this guy here who's got a withered hand, a human being who's made in God's image and he's marred by sin, he's broken by sin. And I have an opportunity to heal that and fix that. And you better believe that I'm going to. That's what he's getting at. And that's what we need to feel. Jesus is referencing clear scriptural teaching. And then thirdly, he restores the man's hand. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy, just like the other. Now, if you were to go to a different gospel and read this same account, especially the gospel of Mark, you would see that before it gets to Jesus healing the man's hand, he asks this question, is it, do, you know, "Is it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He looks around at the Pharisees in anger. Because they, again, they're not actually concerned about the life of this man. They're not concerned about the health of this man. They're more concerned about trying to trap Jesus and He will have nothing to do with it. So He said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. Now again, the Pharisees would not have disagreed or had any problem with Jesus had He just said it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. If He had just stopped there, There would have been no controversy. But it's the fact that Jesus actually extended His power and He healed this man that made them so angry. Their tradition had replaced faithfulness to God and the Word of God. They've got the Son of God literally standing in their midst, being faithful to what God's Word said to be faithful to, and they can't rejoice. They can't celebrate. All they can do is get angry because he shouldn't be doing that. He shouldn't be doing this, they thought. And so they're angry. And that leads to our last point here. We see a wicked plan. Verse 14, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This isn't the only place they do this, but it is very interesting here. They're conspiring, I mean, it's literally the word for conspiracy. It's, it's a wicked, subtle planning to try to do harm to another person. They have the Son of God in their midst, performing miracles, doing what God would have him do, and all they want to do is destroy him. Think back, if you will, to the story of Lazarus that we've looked at uh, we looked at um, earlier this year. You know, again, Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, brings him back to life. You should be celebrating that, right? What do the Pharisees want to do? They not only want to put Jesus to death because of that, they want to kill Lazarus too. They don't want any evidence of the goodness of Jesus operating in the world. They want it gone. They hate Him. Why? Because their adherence has been to their traditions and it has been severed from God and His Word. And so let's let's think again. About our traditions, because again, all this happened on the Sabbath. And in their minds, you can't do what Jesus did on the Sabbath. You just can't do it. Doesn't matter that there's scriptural reasons, other things that you can consider that show he's actually operating within the will of God, according to the word of God. Doesn't matter. Their tradition has already colored their thinking. Hold your place there and look turn to Matthew chapter 15, just a few chapters to your right this is a story we will spend more time in uh, at a later date as we work through matthew but it bears a lot it brings a lot of weight to bear on our passage today chapter 15 matthew chapter 15 beginning in verse number one dealing with same type of things it says the pharisees and scribes came to jesus from jerusalem and said why do your disciples and here they just come out with it break the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat he answered them why do you break the commandment of god for the sake of your tradition for god commanded honor your father and mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die but you say if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to god he need not honor his father so for the sake of your tradition you have made void the word of god you hypocrites well did isaiah prophesy of you when he said this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men and again in this context jesus is talking about the corbin law and in and of itself it's not a bad thing it's not a bad tradition to have say you know what You know, in terms of my relationship with God and my devotion to the Lord, there's some things I'm just going to say Corban, meaning devoted to God, and it can't be used for anything else. Like that's not necessarily a bad tradition in and of itself. But it had been elevated to a point to where they were forsaking clear commands of God in order to uphold that tradition. And that's what Jesus calls them on. It's like, look, you know what the commandment says, honor your parents. And if you revile them, you deserve to die. But Pharisees, you've made it to where people don't have to obey that anymore. Why? Because of your Corbin rule. Well, I devoted it to God, mom and dad. The, you know, all the, the wealth and resources that I have that could have taken care of you, uh, that's gone. I, I devoted that to the Lord. So I'm sorry, you just got to fend for yourself. And go back because this is a culture where there's not, you know, retirement plans. There's not 401Ks. There's not 403Bs. They don't have social security, anything like that your retirement plan in this, in this day and age in Jesus' time is your children. If they don't take care of you, you don't have anybody to take care of you. And so Jesus is saying, look, you are violating the Word of God for your tradition. And what does He say to them about this? He calls them hypocrites. And He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me in vain do they worship me teaching his doctrines the commandments of men what happens when tradition replaces faithfulness to god and his word our worship turns into vain worship we worship god in vain we honor god with our lips when in reality our heart is far from him and the pharisees who with their hedge about the fence about the law, wanting to keep the people from breaking the law so they didn't fall back into exile or idolatry that leads to exile like former generations did. They end up doing the exact same thing. God constantly accuses Old Covenant people of what? Going through all these motions. Hey, we've got the temple. We offer these sacrifices. God's okay with us. We can do whatever we want. Pharisees are doing the exact same thing. They think, hey, look, you know, we, 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 we acknowledge that. We've devoted this to God and it's okay. We're okay. And Jesus is saying, you're actually not okay. You're actually not okay. Why? Because tradition had replaced faithfulness to God and his word. And that goes back to Matthew 12. Jesus asked him, look at this again, verse 11. Which one of you? Who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out, of how much more value is a man than a sheep. And so we we come to this thought of, of tradition. And our traditions at times can be windows into where our allegiance truly is. This is it's a sobering thing to ask in a church context. But what makes us angry? What gets us really fired up? You know, we might normally be you know, pretty docile, pretty low-key, but if X, Y, or Z happens, we're going to stand up and we're going to make a big deal about that. Is it clear, scriptural teaching, or is it a tradition that might be good in and of itself in certain contexts, but it's not commanded, it's not demanded, it's not mandated, by the Word of God. Tradition is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a really, really good thing, but it becomes dangerous and even deadly when it begins to replace faithfulness to God and His Word. I mean, we've heard of the stories. Churches arguing and splitting over the color of the carpet or over this little project, over that little project. And, you know, by God's grace here at North Avenue, that is just not, a spirit that I see here. It's just not, and I'm thankful for that more than I can ever put into words because I've been in context where things that aren't that important are elevated to the position of supreme importance and it absolutely kills the life of a church. And I'm thankful that we don't see that here. But even with that being said, we have to be on guard. Why? Because the same temptation within to get fixated on external things that may or may not matter, that resides in every single one of us. We, I don't see the spirit of the Pharisees here at North Avenue. But just because it's not here now doesn't mean it couldn't slide in. So we have to be oh so careful not to elevate things that might be good and beneficial in a certain way to things that to the same level as the Gospel. To the same level as Christ and His supremacy in all things. And so here's a few scriptural exhortations, helps hopefully uh, as we think about this. Uh, well, I'm going to say good measuring sticks, good um, encouragements. Hebrews chapter 12, familiar passage. And these are just things that will help us keep our mindset, if, if we're diligent, keep our mindset in the, set on the right things, our heart set on the right things, to keep things in proper perspective. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and listen to the language here, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's two things we are to lay aside, according to Hebrews 12. One, obviously, is sin, which is never okay. But the other thing he says is, aside, lay aside every weight. And I've heard it said by so many people, um, and I think it's right. Sometimes there are good things that can hinder us in our walk with God. There are good things that we have in our lives that can hinder us in our walk with God, in our obedience to God. Sometimes it's material stuff, sometimes it's practices, and sometimes it's traditions. Traditions sometimes can hinder us in our devotion to the Lord. And so we have to ask the question, is this thing, whatever it is, this tradition, is it something that is helping me walk with Jesus? Is it helping me run this race or is it actually slowing me down? And if we say it is slowing me down and I can't walk with Jesus the way I can, the way I should, the way I know I could be because of this thing, what needs to go? That thing needs to go. You need to lay it aside. Why? It's slowing you down. Turn back to the left to Philippians chapter 3, another familiar passage. Philippians chapter 3. Again, we're going towards a mindset here. How do we make sure we stay focused on what's most important? Paul, in verse 7, after listing all his credentials in terms of earthly accomplishments and uh, his genealogy and everything like this, he says in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And then verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So he goes from whatever gain he had just in his own accomplishments and his upbringing to everything compared to the worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So anything that takes our eyes off the surpassing worth of Christ and starts to, to be elevated over him in our heart, in our affections, you know, surpassing worth of Jesus, but this thing, we got to have this. Yeah, Jesus is important, but we got to have this. Paul says, I count that as loss. We don't need it. We can go without it if it hinders our view of Christ. Flip back to the left one more time, back to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16. Let's look at verse 24 through 27. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. What is it that we, if we're honest at times, are willing to give up that we have in Christ for some other thing that we might for the moment say, well, I just got to have this instead. It always makes a poor replacement, whether tradition, relationships, money, whatever it is, it will always end up being a poor replacement for Christ. But what value do we put on that? Are we willing to forfeit our souls? I mean, that's the stakes here. When it comes to Christ or this, are we willing to forfeit our souls for a temporary enjoyment when Christ is saying, look, if you'll leave everything for me, I'm going to give you enjoyment forever. That's the promise of this passage. Self-denial is not ultimately a call to misery. It's not ultimately a call to, to a, you know, just a, a glum kind of Eeyore Christian life. It's always sad. I had to give up everything I enjoy, but somehow Jesus is better. No, Jesus is saying, I, and I'm getting this from uh, Lewis and Piper and all that, but he's saying, listen, when you give up everything for Jesus, you're, you're literally trading rusty tin for, for pure 24 karat gold. Why would you want to put all your value and all your worth in stuff that's corruptible, that will corrode, that will fade away and be gone when you have the eternal Son of God pure gold offered to you that will satisfy you forever. And when it comes to this issue of tradition, that is how we ultimately fight that temptation, that tendency in us that wants to elevate a tradition or something over Jesus and over what he tells us is we remember that what we have in Christ is always a far greater value. Sometimes it doesn't see that seem that way, it doesn't feel that way, but we preach this truth to ourselves. There is greater reward in Jesus times 10 million than whatever this little thing is. And so traditions and tradition is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be very good. But we must keep an improper perspective. What we have in Christ and what He has commanded us to do, that is where the value is. And anything that hinders us from seeing Him and from walking in His ways is something we have to consider. Is it something I can do without? And in light of that, Jesus himself was willing to give up everything when he went to the cross. He was willing to give up everything when he went to the cross because he knew what was on the other side. He could deny himself this world because he knew the glory that was on the other side. He could say no to human tradition and elevate God's word and God's plan because he knew what was on the other side. And so let's keep that in mind as we kind of turn our hearts and our minds to the Lord's Supper, to communion. So, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And remember, these elements that we have right here, the juice and the bread, they, they represent Christ in his suffering. Um, they represent what he did for us, what he gave up for us. And we have to remember, this is something only Christians can partake of. It's a celebration. It's a proclamation, as we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 11. This is not for you if you aren't trusting in Jesus. If you're not a believer and you're here today, we would ask that you refrain from partaking of these elements. This is a, a celebration for Christians. We don't want you to partake of these elements because there's nothing magical about these elements. Salvation is in Jesus. And if you're without Him, then our call as a church to you, my call, a call of all of us would be cling to Christ, find life in Christ. And once you do that, then you will be able to partake of these um, and worship Him. So we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Paul instructing the church on the Lord's Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And the point is, even for a professing believer, we come to this as a celebration, as a way to nurture our faith and remember what Jesus has done. But whenever we come, to faith in Christ, whenever we come by faith, we also come in Repentance. And so if there is a sin in your life that you are refusing to repent of, please refrain from this and get before God and repent of that sin so that you can come and partake uh, with a glad heart and a good conscience. So I'm going to pray for us. And then after that, Ian's going to play some music and you are free to come up and partake um, of the elements. Lord, we thank you that you gave yourself for us. In your body and in your blood is our salvation. It is our forgiveness. It is the means by which the wrath of God is turned away. It is there and there alone that we have redemption through your blood. We are purchased out of our slavery to sin and brought into the freedom of a relationship with you. And so, Lord, as we partake, help us celebrate. Help us proclaim your death, Lord, until we know the day you come back. Um, Lord, help us to draw near in this very special way. We thank you that we can partake of these elements, Lord, and so worship you, and so remember all that you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.